every time you do a trailer read, you have to be like, nope, this is how it's supposed to sound. This is what it is. If you don't like it, screw you, but this is what it is. <laughs> Getting feedback from someone, choosing not to take it personally, is actually very freeing. Mm -hmm. And I find for me that I do the worst when I'm trying to give somebody what they want. It's like the modern version of the, the two people inside of a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Times are changing, we want different voices, we want different races, we want more female voices. I think it's a beautiful thing and I'm actually just super excited to be part of the world of voiceover today. And there is something about the strength in numbers that has been really emboldening. We lie on the floor flopping around like a, like a fish for 45 minutes. We work in isolation booths. So if we, want, if we don't want to be isolated, we should leave those booths. Never think, uh, I hope he asks me to be, I hope he pitches me to whoever they really, like if you think that way, then they're mm -hmm. not really your friends or peers and you're just trying to use yeah. people. Yeah. She pilots my meat suit. I've only heard really bad things about Jamie. Right. Well, yeah, that know, makes sense. That makes sense. You gotta watch the bridge, though. <laughs> Instead of trying to figure out how to get into it, I just brought a bunch of people together that none of us knew the industry. Stop wiping expectations on any audition. It's never give up and be the most persistent person in the room. It's always those that are the last ones standing. You're going to get a lot more no's than you get yeses, and I, that's true for me today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. Now, today we're doing something a little bit different. We know that the commercial world is undergoing a lot of change, and I wanted to get out of our voiceover-centric bubble for a week, at least, <laughs> and talk to some people who actually advise brands on how to promote themselves, because I thought that was an interesting perspective and an opportunity for us to learn what it's like from the other side of the glass, from the social media and the promotional side, which will help to inform how our industry could develop in the future. So joining us today are Tara Hunt and Carlos Pacheco. Tara's company Truly Social, or I think it's just referred to as Truly now, has been advising huge brands for a number of years, and, and Tara herself has been at the sort of vanguard of social media for the past 20-odd years, and she's hugely influential. And Carlos is her husband and a numbers guy. <laughs> he trained as an accountant, and he's also worked with marketers and brands and I think primarily um, YouTubers to grow their channels to millions of subscribers. So between them, they have a huge wealth of knowledge that we can tap into. So without me banging on any further, I just want to uh, thank you for listening and check us out on social media. We are VO School on pretty much everything. And of course, you can become a patron. Please follow us on Patreon. And that is, wait, let me find the address. <laughs> Patreon.com slash VO School. Simple. Anyway, let's have a couple of quick ads and get straight into our interview with Tara and Carlos. As a voice actor in 2019, you're more than just an actor. You are a business. The first ever conference for the business of voiceover is coming to New York City, September 13th through 15th. Amazing speakers, panels, and classes all in the greatest city in the world. Vocation NYC. Ticket sales start April 1st. Be one of the first 100 to register and get a special early bird conference rate. For more information, visit vocationconference.com. Vocation NYC. Take your VO business to the next level. The National Zoo. Because sometimes you just need to stroke a llama. Instagram. 
Download it and start embarrassing your teenagers today. Resolve spot and stain. Because the dog's gonna drag his butt on the carpet. He just is. Engage the droid army with this Lego Star Wars Republic fighter tank. Hi, it's J. Michael Collins. And these are just a few examples of the first-class demos my team and I are producing. If you'd like to have something similar, visit jmcvoiceover.com and click on the Demo Production tab to find out more. Connect your studio to the world with IPDTL. IPDTL is a cost-effective alternative to ISDN without the need for hardware or line rental. Connect, mix, and record up to four locations at the same time, including phone patch, right from your computer. You don't need additional software as IPDTL runs in your browser, and you can even get your own ISDN number. Try a day pass for just $15, or subscribe monthly or yearly. So, for directed sessions, interviews, and of course, podcasts, choose IPDTL. Okay, so today I'm very excited to be joined by Tara Hunt and Carlos Pacheco, and they are from the company Truly Social. And guys, I stole the line from your website to explain what we're talking about today, and that is growth and marketing for the social era. (laughs) So I hope you don't mind me doing that. Um, Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks. It's a thrill for me because I often talk to voiceover people and it's nice to uh, talk to people outside of that industry. <laughs> so it's, it's going to be fun. <laughs> so as voice talent ourselves, we voice a lot of uh, commercials and TV and radio and pre-roll and social and stuff. So we're very much interacting with brands and the marketing world, but we're also small business owners in our own right. So we utilize social media and do things like that. So if you don't mind, I'd like to divide this discussion up into those two sections. So the bigger picture in terms of how brands are working and how marketing is working in that macro sense, and then also talking about small business owners and how they can use social media and maybe some of the tactics from the bigger brands to uh, reach people and grow their business. But before we begin, I'd like to find out a little bit about you guys Uh, So Tara, why don't you tell us about yourself and then we'll move on to Carlos and then we'll talk about Truly Social itself. So Tara, why don't you tell us about how you got started? Yeah, well, thank you. I have been, I'm now rounding into 20 years of doing online marketing. And when I started, there wasn't, it wasn't called online marketing. It Mm -hmm. had this really funny little name and it was very niche and it was very aren't you guys cute um called new media marketing it was called uh now of course it's not new media it's everywhere it's right. ubiquitous <laughs> but uh, uh my skills were really understanding the online space understanding you know i was pretty much a jack of all trades in the beginning i could you know do everything from flash websites to um you know they didn't even really have ad campaigns but understanding how to like well there's banners and that sort of thing and then what as seo started to rise and come into its own i started getting some capabilities there but all along i was very interested in what we called community uh back in the day and then turned Mm. into social so i always sort of how did what I did is community marketing, which was more about connecting with 
uh, people on uh, online. And it was a very small group of people, but if you were a specific kind of company, like a technology firm, there were definitely a lot of opportunities to connect with people through this online space. Uh, mm. There was an early, in I think 1998 or 1999, there was an early influence on my thinking called the Clue Train Manifesto, which was written by Doc Searles, David Weinberger, Chris Locke, and Rick Levine. And um, it was all about like lists and brands. You've been doing this uh, interruption in your face, wave your hands type marketing for all these years. It doesn't really work, but it's now especially not going to work because, right. you know, mar the core thesis was markets or conversations, which is basically like it, it's always been uh, word of mouth, right, is, is still the number one uh, way that recommendations travel and people make decisions. Mm. And so uh, the web was going to explode that. Of course, they were completely right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but brands continue to wave their arms and interrupt people even when right. we have all these amazing listening tools available to us so uh, i've been doing this for a long time i've seen an evolution but uh also seen a lot of uh not not as much progress as i would have liked to see i guess in this uh space so that's 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 me and that's what we continue to try to bang on that drum and that's why we say that we are a strategic marketing firm for the social era because it's not as much about the the platforms it's not about buying ads it's not about that stuff it's not about even content strategies so much as it is how do you rethink growing your business or connecting with your audience mm. in this social context and by a social context i mean two-way conversations a lot of listening yeah. <laughs> a lot of understanding not uh, not as not as much speaking um so uh that's that's me in a nutshell I also wrote one of the first books on how the social web is changing business. So. Yeah. What was the name of that book? <laughs> the Woofy Factor. Right. I've read that and I was like, okay, I get that confirmation of how to pronounce that from you rather than <laughs> making a leap. Um, so how did you learn this stuff? You mentioned a book there that you read, um, but is this through trial and error? Um, do you go to classes to learn things? Yeah. Like how, how, do you, how do you get this knowledge? So, yeah, there wasn't, I went to university and uh, got a master's in uh, cultural studies, uh, which I think I use every single day because I learned how to research right. uh, and do critical thinking and understand human behavior and like the whole gamut of, of uh, you know, consumer economics, that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, so I use, you know, a lot of people go, oh, I never used my degree. Well, take a liberal arts degree. You will use it every single day, in, especially into the future. But that's a whole other conversation to have. Right. Uh, for me, um, it wasn't about learning the tools um, in university or in, in college or in a course. It was trial and error. It was being part of everything from the beginning and watching it evolve and understanding it. And then today it's continuing to like being a lifelong learner and continuing to learn like the platforms, the tools, the learning how to do the technical stuff is the simple part. Right. Uh, it understanding how to approach it and think about it and uh, is the not as, and that's, I did learn in university. Right. Okay. That's fascinating. And I should point mm. out that you're CEO of, of Truly Social, right? And Carlos, we're moving over to you now. You're CMO, uh, but you have yes. an interesting backstory too. So why don't you tell us about 
how you got to where you are today and where you are right now. Yeah, um, I spent many years in traditional marketing agencies, uh, mm. starting from the bottom and moving my way up to the middle <laughs> and um, <laughs> to a point where, you know, I started in traditional marketing, learned the ropes in terms of like buying print, buying out of home, buying TV. And then, uh, which I always found to be a little bit like uh, boring and I didn't never understood the, the sort of like concept for it. I didn't. I didn't go to school for marketing. I went to school for uh, accounting and uh, fell into that industry purely by accident. And um, I didn't understand the numbers. I didn't understand the philosophy. But once I jumped to digital, that's when I started to see the numbers and, and the things that, you know, the, the metrics that I could really pay attention to. And that's when I started really liking, you know, my, my work. And um, for many years, I did that media buying, media strategy for, uh, you know, national brands. And then I left the industry and went for uh, content companies. And that's when I sort of got my, my eyes were open to the world of creators and from, you know, TV producers to online creators, where uh, I started managing uh, significant YouTube channels and I, I honed my skills in in the world of YouTube, and YouTube was was uh, you know starting to blow up, starting to get attention, and YouTubers weren't a thing yet, but uh, they were starting. And mm. so yeah, I, I spent a good five to six years building uh, YouTube channels to millions of subscribers, working with creators, uh, building relationships with them, and also creating uh, mini YouTube networks within companies. You know, YouTube networks are a bunch of YouTube channels put bunched together, and right. uh, to, to sort of like to take advantage of the uh, of the monetization, all that sort of stuff. So I did that for for five years, and then uh, just under a year ago, uh, well, during this time, Tara was building Truly Social. You know, we always made the joke that I would come back to the agency world uh, only for her, hmm. and uh, she asked me to come in. And uh, I think that the was... correction: I begged him to come <laughs> and join me. I was things were going fast, and I was stressed out, and I couldn't do this on my own anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, and then uh, I'm focused on uh, the performance side of things. Like we do have paid media within our agency, but it's not. You know, we use it as a way of growing an audience as opposed to selling a product. Well, right. and targeting too, well, targeting. making sure we get the content in front of the right audience. Exactly. Because right. these platforms are really terrible at surfacing your content. Like yeah. they right. really make you pay for it. Yeah. So. All, uh, the way I see these platforms is that they're all what we call content management systems. Mm -hmm. They're all... You know, they're all WordPress. When you, The way right. I see it, that's that's the way Twitter is. That's the way... Facebook is, that's the way, you know, um, Snapchat is. They're all just these content delivery platforms that entice you with free reach for a certain amount of time, and then they close the gates and then turn themselves back into what a normal site behaves like. Right. So because they're a closed ecosystem, they force you to spend money to get people to watch your stuff. So mm. whereas, you know, a, an open website and a website that you create yourself and optimize by your, on your own will get traffic organically so mm. i anyways i have a, i can get into a tangent in that side of things but that's a little bit of my story right so tara you alluded to it there that brands and companies aren't particularly fantastic at this so was that the motivation for you starting this company is that the ethos of the company uh, bringing content to the masses and doing it in a sensible way 
it's always been my ethos to, well, not necessarily bring content to the masses, but to connect brands, companies, even individuals with their audience mm. in a way that is mutually beneficial and, you know, make everybody, you know, this utopic vision of, you know, we, we all are, uh, we all need to buy something at some point uh, yeah. or want to buy something at some point and to have that point be uh, a no-brainer like way to connect you to the right product or service or person and and vice versa have that brand not be you know pushing messages on people that are they're interrupting and annoying but have that brand be able to reach those people who are thinking oh i need this thing right mm. uh that's always been sort of my uh, utopic vision and I mean, this company was kind of started, uh, you know, originally as an, not an accident, but I wasn't actually in, intending to create a, a firm with employees and right. doing what we're doing now. It just happened that uh, the stars aligned and we're at this place in time where there are more and more companies, especially like B2B mm. type of companies that are realizing that this type of more inbound thought leadership creation and making sure they're getting their thought leadership in front of interested people is a really great way to grow their business. What do you and mean by thought leadership? So um, uh, an example, one of our first uh, clients, PWL Capital, is a wealth management firm and they uh, approach investing through a couple of different really unique lenses one of the one of which is passive investing and um in the u.s this is you know through warren buffett's uh mm. philosophy that he's put out there and everybody loves warren buffett and sees yeah. him as a great example kind of understand it but in canada people didn't even understand there's a different way to invest so when you know when we were working with them the idea was like let's create Let's get more of the not. It's not about getting out there and selling. We're you know passive investing, and this is what it is. More like ongoing thought leadership from from each of their uh, advisors, talking about you know answering real questions that real people would have. Because mm. people here in Canada aren't searching like, should I be passive investing? Because they don't even know what it is. Right. So they're searching for like. You know, investing in, in general, investing questions, retirement questions, retirement planning questions, um, mortgage questions, all the questions that would fold into a broader investment strategy. And so we created, we've created all these series from each of the advisors that speak specific to specifically to each of their audiences, which are all very different, yeah. that answer those questions in a way that that audience is searching. So right. it's really SEO friendly and then also uh, creates like a confidence, which is creating a nice uh, amount of inbound for them when people are asking regular questions. And now they're being educated around the passive side of things. So it sounds to me like a sort of distillation of the advertising world, you know, in general, that's what they're looking to do. They're taking something that they know and that they do and they're wanting to explain that and articulate why it's beneficial to the people that they want to to buy from them or work with them you know b2b yeah. um so what are the consistent hurdles then that you come up against when working with brands or companies if they're b2b that you're finding they get wrong 
You know, what are the things that you're constantly bashing your head against a wall about? Well, you know, one is band jumping on bandwagons. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whatever like new uh, platform is being hyped, and you know, everybody focuses on the platforms and. You know, oh, you know, so and so is doing Facebook advertising or whatever, and seeing like this huge return. Well, have you asked? Like we we always start with our clients, and we with you know we're no, we're not going to lead with tactics. We're not going to lead with let's jump on bandwagons. We ask two main questions: number one, who is your audience, and number two, what are your goals? Mm. Like. And they seem like really simple questions, but they're, well, we're first of all, really all like always baffled as big or long, as long as a company has been in business, it's hard for them to answer the first question consistently. We, I don't think I've ever ran into an organization that like really knows their audience or their customer. Like they may know individuals, but they don't have a or demographics but they don't really have a good grasp um and then the goals even is sometimes hard right because they want to have big numbers or impressions especially because a lot of organizations uh, organizations have been taught these like ad impressions or pr impressions right metrics for so long like a million impressions well what does yeah. that mean and are those you know it's better to have 10 solid qualified leads than it is a million unqualified impressions, right? right? Yeah. So I, I get the branding thing. We are very big on uh, creating um, brand recognition as well, on like in tandem with this type of strategy. But there's only so far that can go before you're spending basically your entire budget, and then you're stuck with what you know you turn the hose off because you've run out of money facebook walks away thank you very much we've right. got our pockets full of your money and you still don't have any growth right so yeah it's much better to invest in this sort of more long-term strategy of getting the content's great because it, as carlos was saying earlier you have it out there on your wordpress site or your 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 website in whatever form it is in and it brings traffic if it's evergreen for many years to come in fact sometimes it even grows right. over time yeah I, I would say even like you know this medium the podcast medium your your podcast you know is a lead generator for you mm. um, and it's something that is starting to be embraced by more and more by brands as using an easy platform for them to you know create content and bring their thought leadership into into you know uh, into the internet, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it to me, I've always consumed or I've always been influenced by people who or or companies who who teach me what they're doing or, mm-hmm. or tell me what their product is about. Yeah. Instead of like just putting their logo in front of me, that doesn't sell for me. Again, I, I, I'm bringing this very from my personal perspective as opposed to like you know fact numbers but you know at, at the end of the day like i'm a firm believer if you teach people uh, about your product if you basically explain your product people will be much more interested in it and will buy it there's a reason why there's a a movement of unboxing videos or yeah. how-to videos out there is because the brands aren't doing it 
And, you know, if, and, and that sells a product more than anything else for me. Personally. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's like all these ads with like, Oh, like, look at the beautiful. And they're like three G F four technology. And you're like, great. I don't even know what that is, Yeah, yeah. but you know, show me the real user experience. And that's what the unboxing videos really are showing you is like that real, like human um, experience with the product. So that's related to those first two questions that you ask people when you start working with them. So you find that target market and then you focus your efforts on creating content that that works for those people as opposed to just throwing enough stuff at the wall and see what sticks. That's exactly that, that the approach. And, and it's yeah. not all and I should also correct here, it's not always about content as well. Like right. we do a lot of content because that happens to be like a lot of our clients B2B that seems to work really well for them. But we, it's not always about content. If somebody comes to us, so for instance, we, we're working also with an alcohol brand. <laughs> yeah. You know, people aren't going to sit and read big articles about, they like drink recipes, but they're not going to sit and read big articles yeah. about, you know, the history of coffee liqueur. You know, that, yeah. I mean, it's interesting to me, but probably not their audience. So for them, you know, we're actually doing in-person events, yeah. tastings, mixology things, and working with uh, amateur mixologists um, and bartenders and, and uh, you know, putting, as as they say in the, their biz, like uh, liquid on lips <laughs> because it's a great, it's a great product. Yeah. So, um, and we see that as social too. Yeah. Right? It's not Twitter. It's not, I mean, we do a lot of Instagram for it because the mixologists are very on Instagram, but we off we use that to sort of leverage those moments but in general like the liquid on lips is the most important part that's how you understand the audience you understand that they're the cocktail enthusiasts that they need to reach cocktail and coffee because it's a coffee li- liqueur yeah. enthusiasts that they need to reach need to you know they ha- they've had this like cal- this terrible kalua experience in the past now they need to be convinced that there's this, this actually this nicer, better, tastier, less sugar, less gross alternative. Um, it's actually really delicious. I'm not even a coffee liqueur fan, and I enjoy it. And not just saying that because they're a client, I would actually enjoy it. <laughs> well, you haven't mentioned the brand, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, yeah, so, oh, and I, you, I mean, you're from the UK, so you understand the espresso martini happy hour Friday right. thing, right? <laughs> That's true. So, yeah. um, anyway, the so the whole that, strategy isn't about focused on content the content we do comes out of the real human experience that we've set up yeah so it seems much more much more involved much more complicated much more mathematical maybe in terms of working out what process you're going to go through to um build this uh, for a client so carlos presumably that's where you come in with a, with your sort of mathematical background um <laughs> you're looking at charts and <laughs> i don't know i'm very not, not mathematical so how does that work how do you figure out these strategies well i mean it, it all again it's it's one of those things where um the the research and insights that we do at the beginning of the comp- uh, beginning of, of the relationship with clients really guide us mm. as to where we're going to put um the money for uh, building an audience, right? And you know, if if a specific audience is very B two B for uh, a client, we're not going to put ads on Facebook. We're going to put ads on LinkedIn. Mm. Um, you know, and it, but the, that's just like I mean, and we don't even know about the ads. So right. just to back up, uh, your assumption that it's numbers driven 
that's only like maybe uh i don't know an eighth of the picture right uh this is where my liberal arts background comes into play this is where you know the cultural studies comes into play right. i you know that it is actually more of a we call it like digital anthropology yeah. is this um study of the audience and we have this you know this thing that we call you know this process that we call finding your best customer mm. and um you know we have sort of three questions that we ask there which is how acutely do they need or desire your product can they pay for it is number two which nice. is you know actually a very good question to ask and then number three is do they talk to others that are like them on a frequent basis? So do they have a community that they gather in of people like them, which right. helps, of course, spread that word of mouth? And if you can uh, find the person, the you know, those three categories, you can align them, that's your best customer. Right. And so that's what we do. And Carlos brings in the, the numerical part. He'll bring in the Google AdWords um, uh, like look at search volumes. He'll bring in um, a lot of different other ana analytical uh, pieces when it, when it comes to these ad platforms. But we do do a lot of more anthropological research uh, right. with social intelligence tools and uh, such and so forth. Yeah, that sounds like the combination of your skill sets really works together for you. Yeah. I can understand yeah. why you wanted to work together. It makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so, of course, we work with a lot of brands and we specifically, we as Voice Talent, do a lot of commercial campaigns and TV and stuff like that. So, and also B2B, explainer videos, the whole, all that kind of stuff. So, have you noticed general shifts in the way large companies do business in terms of that kind of world, the, the general marketing world? Have there been stylistic shifts or business shifts that you've noticed and is there anything that jumps out to you as a big change uh for me and again this is my sort of experience in terms of seeing brands uh specifically on on, on like the the voice platforms right like uh podcasting yeah. i've seen brands uh you know embrace more and more the authentic sort of uh the, having the talent act the talent from the podcasts you know talk about the product and give mm -hmm. their experience with the product. And I've heard anecdotally where, you know, uh, some big names out there that say they don't do that stuff. And then, and the other big names saying, well, you will, because uh, more brands are sort of like asking for that as opposed to, you know, creating that interruption right. perspective, uh, because it does feel interruptive when, you know, you're listening to a podcast and all of a sudden it's like a different voice telling you about a product that right. sometimes isn't aligned with with the content. I definitely see a shift in that. Podcasting is uh, probably unique when it comes to that, mm. and also radio, anything voice related. But I do feel like there's it, it might spill out into the the general sort of marketing ecosystem. I don't know, Tara, have you sort of any insights on that? Yeah, I I do see uh, more and more brands, especially brands that are not as legacy, I guess. Mm. Uh, ones that have that came up a little bit later in the game, who you know, didn't have the you know Coca Cola budgets for many <laughs> right. years, uh, embracing more of you know this this long term investment in building relationships where they will 
start to invest more in a pod, you know, creating a podcast series that's valuable to uh, an audience that resembles their customer. Mm. Um, but they still have like this, there, some of them are still the only thing that I see that they still need to let go of. Some of them are prioritizing the production levels over the actual, you know, audience connection part, the relationship part. Mm. So they get hung up on the production levels and they don't realize like, so when we say the social era, you know, we found consistently the production levels. Sure. Yeah. It's really nice to have good production levels, you know, especially on a podcast, you don't want to be like having an earbud in your ear and like straining to hear the person's voice or hear yeah. lots of weird background noise or hiss. But uh, you do not have to like go to a radio studio and book studio time to get good, good enough quality for a podcast. Uh, I don't know where you record uh, yours. in a closet. <laughs> exactly, right? So there yeah. are so many people, and this is what I tell brands all the time, you're competing, your content is competing against somebody sitting in their closet. Yeah. Uh, producing yeah. this and they're, and they're able to do it on the fly and they don't overthink it and they don't, it doesn't, it doesn't cost them anything or hardly anything except for time uh, and passion and blood, sweat and tears, right? And, and so they're going to beat you at the end. It's, it's, uh, you need to let go, not, not be non-produced, not, not look non-polished. But think more, put more energy into creating the content that connects with your audience. It would be strange to me to hear like a, a Mark Maron talking about drink Coca-Cola, you know, <laughs> but it would <laughs> yes. be, uh, you know, not so strange at all for him to talk about, I don't know, Blue Apron or Squarespace or one of these companies yeah. that always advertise on podcasts. So is that something you yeah. that's going to change? Do you think bigger brands are going to embrace this? Well, we've we've seen I've seen examples of bigger brands sort of embracing it, mm. but I've yet to sort of um, they're still stuck. Unfortunately, a lot of these legacy brands are stuck into the ecosystem of just brand building, right? And yeah. uh, you know, like billboards and you know, and TV ads and the, the 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 type of customers that are listening to podcasts. You know, like podcast to me is not um, is not a brand uh, building. It's not just a brand building sort of medium. Uh, it's not just you know, and some of them are you know invest a lot of money into that logo, and yeah. you know and that's what they want people to recognize more than anything else. And there's a reason why there's specific you know there's specific number of of advertisers you always hear on podcasts is because they're more important. They're more interested into building that relationship. And uh, in building and and getting people to to sort of like understand what their product is about, mm. as opposed to just you know Coke or Nike, yeah. uh, you know. So th I think there's just a different type of brands that that embrace podcasts versus the other ones, and there'll always be brands you know experimenting in the, in the ecosystem, and and maybe they'll find a way to to use it in a way that's not so um, uh, forced. Right. Um, and, you know, let the content do what it does and support the podcast. Like, you know, certain brands have, have done just like, hey, this podcast is, is sponsored by, uh, you know, X brand. And that's it. Doesn't need to, you know, ask you to do, a, uh, ask you to purchase anything. And 
those that's to me where the branding uh, can come in mm. as opposed to asking people to uh, check out the website or buy a mattress or sign up to a newsletter platform. But I mm. just go back to that second question. What are your goals? Yeah. Right. So what, why do you want to do any of this stuff? What are your goals? Like, yeah, I mean, of course, all companies want to grow and s- sell and be profitable. But what are your goals with doing whatever you are setting out to do? So if somebody does come to us and say, we want to do a podcast, and their idea is to grow their brand, I would say that might not be your best uh, tactic right. <laughs> going mm-hmm. forward. You might, that yeah. might, that's, it's for, you know, we'd have to look into it, but you you might want to grow your brand through other channels first. And then once you have an audience that's in, it's more engaged or, or wanting to listen and learn more, that's a good time to start a podcast because otherwise you might launch a podcast and nobody's going to come to listen. <laughs> yeah, I remember that feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> so are there times where just bashing people over the head with exposure to a product, is that sort of brainless approach? Does that actually work in, on some occasions? So I would say a good example of how that works except for there's a uh, like there was a bigger more involved strategy is casper mattresses or any of the mm-hmm. order a rolled up mattress to the mail yeah in reality and they would will probably want to argue against me but in reality these are just sort of like higher quality foam rolls yeah. <laughs> <laughs> being shipped to people and so you know as somewhere along the way all of their relentless uh, pushing of messages through all of the channels that they were pushing it through started creating demand <laughs> for yeah, new yeah. mattresses. I have friends who bought mattresses like three years ago who were like, oh, I'm thinking of getting a Casper yeah. or whatever the or Andy or whatever the purple, I don't know what the yeah. one are. Anyways, like <laughs> I'm thinking of getting about. these mattresses because I keep see- hearing about them and they must be amazing. And I would want to look into the amount of money that they've spent on this stuff. Uh, another sort of area um, where I've seen this as well is in the robo-advisor side of things. So a lot of those robo-advisors, uh, you know, the... Wealth Simple. Yeah, like Wealth Simples are like the different ones you sign up for and they invest for you. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, right. uh, they have spent so much money on their marketing, right? And all their messages and pushing them through. Uh, they're, they're on Super Bowl ads and bashing people over the heads. Now, mm. what they're trying to do is in a very short amount of time, change public perception. So, you know, people are like, ah, I don't want to hand my my wealth over to a automated system. That yeah. seems scary to me. But if they start to create it, just like Casper and such all have created this sort of normalcy of it through the message penetrating over and over and over again yeah perhaps now once again they run out of funding vcs go okay well this isn't working and walk away or you know other sources of funding dry up it's over there's no long term there yeah that's the only thing that i would say so if you have to build like if you have to change hearts and minds quickly Mm. You know, you would want to add that that sort of um, not bashing over the head. You'd still want to target. Uh, you'd still want to target your message. You would still want to test your message. You would still want to create content that connects with that audience. But 
I have been seeing that sort of thing work in the past few years, but it's not going to work for everybody. It's not going to work for a law firm. Yeah. It's not going to work for a traditional wealth management firm. Their audience is going to be turned off by such a thing. And is that playing on that part of the brain that re- responds to uh, word of mouth? <laughs> but it's not word of mouth. It's just being repeatedly it's a bandwagon. All <laughs> yeah. oh, right, okay. It's just yeah. like it's it's surrounding me, so it's normalized, and now all my friends are doing it. Yeah. It's like it's the part of the brain that sees the lineup at the restaurant and makes right. you want to go to that restaurant. Yep. That's the part of the brain it preys on. And, and, and you know, my opinion when it comes to this type of advertising is that it's a never-ending black hole. Like yeah. meaning that, like it, as soon as you stop, everything stops. Right. So you're going to need to keep investing more and more and more. And uh, you know, the, in, in the number of advertising platforms, the number of, of ways people to reach uh, you just keeps multiplying. So that yeah. money needs to get bigger and bigger. Right. So that's, to me, you know, uh, we are very, you know, uh, adamant about building uh, an ecosystem for these brands that are sustainable and that build a platform for them that they don't need to spend, uh, you know, exorbitant amount of money to, to re- reach a very targeted audience that already maybe knows a little bit about them, but it's just looking for information mm. and would rather build valuable platforms for them as opposed to using somebody else's platform that costs a fortune. And then as soon as my money runs out, well, my audience disappears. Right. Qualified, consistent, invested leads, like mm. people who will come and they'll, you know, because they're interested and then they stick around. And what I like to say is the content is not what's valuable. It's the audience that is valuable. Yeah. So if you don't get the audience, Facebook has the audience when you're doing Facebook ads. Mm. <laughs> but but when you create content and they come and they subscribe to a newsletter or do something that connects, like gives you more direct access in a longer term and you can you know continue to keep their attention, that's where it's valuable. Okay. Leading on from that, a big subject of conversation in the voiceover world <laughs> that no one outside of it is aware of, um, is uh, is this shift from television advertising to pre-roll internet advertising, stuff like that. Is this TV advertising world doomed? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, like obviously predictions are, are what they are. But yeah. um, one thing I do see is, you know, there's a reason why Netflix has become a monster, right? Is because yeah. people are tired to be interrupted. They, they would rather pay to get a service that, you know, eliminates all those interruptions. So advertising mm-hmm. is definitely, um, you know, going to be shifting around over when it comes to TV. I don't think advertising on TV is going to die. There'll always be, uh, you know, commercial uh, supported advertising out there. It right. will probably, you know, it'll probably start getting more, more um, uh, specific, more vertical. It'll be very, you know, very specific channels with high value audiences. So the big, ma- there'll always be the big mass channels that everybody gets yeah. uh, for free through their cable uh, subscription and all that sort of stuff. But the, the you know, the, the, the 500 channels uh, situation from our youth uh, that everybody was like, oh, there's going to be 500 channels. Uh, no, actually, there's going to be 500,000 channels, right? <laughs> so, yeah. you know, like, you know, we're, we're dealing with this with YouTube, right? Like, you know, the, the next generation of kids, they're not growing up watching TV. They're growing up watching their favorite YouTubers. And they'll always be, um, you know, YouTubers are ad-supported, but they're also looking at ways to not be ad-supported. So mm. 
there's always going to be a shift. Uh, I just don't don't see there. I don't see as as there being ultimatums or sort of like the definitive answers in this space. But there's definitely going to be a shift when it comes to TV advertising. You know, maybe they'll be less. Maybe they'll be more valuable. You know, like if if mm. You know, I'm uh, a brand that really t- needs to talk to C-level, uh, you know, executives. I'll pay more to be on that specific channel and get that content in front of them or that ad in front of, in front of them. So the predictions for me, I'm like, that's what I see. I don't know if, uh, in terms of predictions, if it's going to happen, mm. you know, that's that's where I'm seeing things moving it, around. It's an interesting uh, scenario that you bring up, and I haven't thought of it from that perspective, is the you know, voice acting being lucrative when it's you know a voice talent for these traditional media because of the you know bigger spends, right? The more mass yeah. audience, but you know there may be at that this point um, an interesting thing to think about just from your perspective, and I don't know if there's. Probably, yeah, I would imagine you guys have a organization or some sort of uh, community or yep. business community around this where potentially talk to IP lawyers about mm. how to restructure these kind of deals, right? So, yeah. you know, on YouTube, there's the whole, like, you pay for the number of unskipped ads right and you there's and and if i'm using music on a youtube video there are several different owners of that music from the label to the artist to the distributor to like a whole bunch of people get a cut of that based on an algorithm Mm. why wouldn't the voice actor be part of that yeah i mean what the, the situation with us right now with the transition that's happening is that historically a brand knows what they're going to buy before you know the campaign begins they know how many times they're going to show this on tv and what channels they're going to do so the, you know they have a good idea of how much the voice is going to cost because the voice uh, in the, the union world gets paid a small amount every time it's shown um, whereas it's it's sort of the wild west on the internet because, you know they're, mm-hmm. they're putting pre-roll advertising they'll put it on their website they'll take it off they'll put it here they'll put it there they'll try something on a podcast or whatever so they're sort of just seeing how they go so what they're doing then is they're just uh, doing a full buyout essentially for mm-hmm. for the talent so it, it's it's a, maybe a chunk but it's it's just sort of one-off thing so, that seems weird to me because that stuff is way more trackable and measurable yeah but they don't know in advance that's that's the generally what happens almost could be like a royalties type of a situation but set up in like a webby way i'm sure there are ip lawyers working on (laughs) such things uh, into the future right and Um, our our union sag aftra in the u.s and actra in canada are quite uh, are adjusting but they're somewhat slow to adjust to the new world you know um but tara where do you see this shift do you see this shift happening too uh, i mean i don't know if i agree that uh, well i agree that w- the future is not ours, ours to see sarah case sarah, sarah but <laughs> it's also because things are being quote unquote disrupted at such a quick pace um yeah. and in ways in which we didn't really consider previously but so here's a really interesting example i don't know if you can relate it back uh to voice acting in any way, but for journalists, for writers. Mm. So, you know, for many years, the media companies, uh, newspapers, magazines, et cetera, have taken a beating and therefore uh, are not hiring 
full time as many journalists. And a lot of journalists are freelance now. And they're, you know, they can spread out their work and, and get sort of a, you know, decent amount of work over time. But uh, it's probably not as stable or lucrative as it used to be. Yeah. And companies like ours um, are coming up. And uh, I, you know, I, I calculated uh, last month because I was doing a video where I was like, hey, I wonder how much we actually pay out to journalists per month. And it's like in the tens of thousands that we pay out to journalists wow. each month because what we are doing, and then we like transfer them off to uh, the brands that we work with. But what we're doing is we're setting up these brand publications, which internally brands are not going to hire like a, a big uh, team of writers, but mm. they need quite often experts in their areas to do content. Now, that's not, we're not a production house ourselves. We do the strategy, we get, we, we, we get the audience in line, we understand the topics and the angles and all that stuff. Yeah. We can design the editorial, but we're not going to like become experts on, I don't know, blockchain or right. one day and then uh invest you know passive investing the next day yeah. what we do is we seek out people who have built their career writing on that beat have a really great deep understanding on those beats hmm. uh and we uh pay them to do articles and we pay them you know a pretty decent uh i think you know we pay 50 cents a word um it, unless like it's a really 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 big writer you know maybe books and all that sort of then we can negotiate something else yeah. but that's a really good it's an industry rate it's not what the new york times plays but it's it's definitely higher than a lot of other organizations uh, and even media companies pay yeah. and so yeah so we end up we're small potatoes and we end up supporting a lot of writers yeah. through this type of strategy and I know there's other organizations out there, Contently and NewsCred. There are other agencies out there that are doing similar type of brand publishing work. So they're they're also bringing in freelancers and giving them opportunities. So the, so there's there's this other sort of industry mm. that is a little bit more stable because brands still need a, a way to connect with their audience. So it's this yeah. is like maybe the money's gone away from advertising. So now the newspapers can't sell their ads on their online newspapers as for as high as they used to on their print. So they can't pay journalists as, as much. But now the brands who want to reach that same audience are creating content themselves. I'm sure the newspapers don't love this. Yeah. Um, but but we are still then able to hire the journalists. And maybe there's something in the voice actor world. It's funny. I can, I can imagine that there's a lot of people nodding their heads at this because it is very analogous to our industry because uh, it has become mm. much more decentralized. But there are people that can, you know, forge their path and find their niche, you know, and uh, fulfill certain roles that in a way that maybe in the past they would just have their agent book everything for them. It's it's much more decentralized now. There's a recent there's a recent article I think it was in Variety where they said that the, um, the internet has sort of destroyed the middle class of actors, mm. right? and you know where now it's or you're a big actor or you're a small little so that goes uh, uh, everywhere. And I do think that that's shifting to almost all creators, right? Or you're yeah. working or you're working with the New York Times or you're a freelancer doing a bunch of things, right? And one of the things that you know that that we're trying to educate for the brands we work with is to not think like from a campaign perspective, mm. right? We want, you know, um, I've seen so many times, uh, how can I explain this? I've been exposed to podcast series from brands that 
you know, I know are going to be done in in three months. Three months, there's no, right. there's not going to be any more episodes, and I'm not going to care anymore. And I'm like, I'm not going to invest my time on that. I yeah. want, you know, I want to, I want to listen to something from a brand that I'm interested in and a product that I'm interested in for as long as possible, and I want to hear what's happening about them. So the the ecosystem of you know creating a podcast from a campaign perspective, uh, from a limited campaign perspective, I think should die. But, you know, I think that's going to evolve and that's where you know, opportunities for voice actors can be there, right? Mm-hmm. Longer brands, term. Longer term yeah. uh, projects that, you know, can, can span a year, two years, three years. Yeah. And then, you know, finding voice actors that are, are proficient in a specific verticals, mm-hmm. right? That know more about a specific uh, you know, tech product or mm-hmm. mattress, <laughs> you know, like, you know, all that sort of stuff. Podcast. So I do, I do think there's going to be a lot of like, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. There are certain brands that just don't need a podcast, but you know, it, bedtime stories, bedtime stories. Oh, exactly. they, they might have already been doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Your, yeah. your voice would actually be very soothing for bedtime stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You should pitch it to Casper. <laughs> yeah. Good idea. They have good deep idea. pockets. You know, it seems. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I know what I'm doing this afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I don't think we're going to get on today to talking about um, the smaller scale because I've got to be uh, aware of time here. I know you've got to go shortly. But um, I want to specifically, before we finish, talk about two things. And one of them I'll say for the end because it's, it's super interesting. Um, but the first thing is voice in general. And people like Gary Vaynerchuk and people like that talk about this all the time. And these sort of the Alexas and the Google Homes and things like that, how are those playing into your strategies these days? Because we hear a lot about how this is going to take over the world, but I just wonder how it's actually manifesting in in reality for you guys. So this is one of those bandwagon things. Right. (laughs) Uh, And Gary's love Gary. I've known Gary actually from the beginning. I I kind of like to take a little bit of credit for Gary because he came up to me when, after I got off stage years ago, um, and uh, said, oh, I do all that stuff. And then I introduced him to a bunch of people. And then, yeah, oh, cool. uh, yeah, so, but Gary and his company are all about bandwagons, like whatever <laughs> the, the newest, hottest thing is that all of a sudden they're preaching it, yeah. which I think is very unfortunate and it's a bit dangerous. Mm. Um, if somebody, if we have clients that come to us on that level and they put sort of tactics first what we will do is if you know if there's if we've got some you know plan that's already placed and we're you know it's it's going along nicely and there's some room to to shift some budget and energy into uh testing these platforms Mm. we will but you know we like to say like we try before we buy for everything so we want to try our hand at working on certain products before and like test them for ourselves. So for instance, marketing automation, we're going to be doing some testing on marketing automation on our side and Mm. see how it works with content to see if that's something that we want to start like suggesting to our clients to add on to what we're already doing with them for content. We're not going to suggest it because everybody's hot on marketing automation Right. right now. What we're going to do is we're going to test it see how it works does it does it tick off a higher end b2b audience to get mm. like too many follow-ups and etc yeah. <laughs> yeah i i suspect there's a mix there um but uh and then if it's if it works really nicely to keep people engaged and keep people on top of content that's something we would suggest so same thing with any of the voice 
at home stuff. If there's a low, if there's low hanging fruit, for instance, you know, when you, we have Google at home and we, yeah. every morning, you know, as we're walking in the kitchen to make breakfast, it's like, Hey, Google, good morning. Sorry for everybody that has a uh, yeah, Oh, yeah, I just realized that. Yeah. You can, like, muffle that. <laughs> and then what Google does is we've chosen the, the, the sort of news shows and podcasts that we want it to play in, in sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and getting onto that list, I don't know what the process is, but that might be something yeah. to look into. Yeah, yeah, there's already companies sort of, like, putting those, those uh, pieces of content together out there. And obviously, these are platforms that are sort of not developed yet. Google doesn't have a monetizing uh, ecosystem on it, uh, but we do see a bunch of content companies jump into partnerships with uh, with each platform and offering you know their daily update that you can ask and all that sort of stuff. So for us, um, you know, we're keeping an eye on things. Like for us, when we launched our podcast, one of the first things I wanted to make sure is if I asked Google for you know the true social podcast, you know, that it would show up. And it did. Mm. And I just made sure that, you know, it was plugged mm-hmm. into the right platforms. It cost us nothing. It cost us nothing. We just wanted to make sure um, it, it worked. Uh, but yeah, there's different formats to embrace. And we're definitely keeping an, an eye on that. But it's definitely right now, it's a publishing, uh, you know, ecosystem um, that, you know, the publishers right now making the money and, and selling ads on their on their content that gets redistributed on, on the homes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, at, the, at this point, we're just, you know, very aware of it. We're very bullish on it. I love it. Yeah. And I think it's, it's an opportunity for podcasters. Uh, it's another sort of ecosystem outside of the typical uh, phone uh, iPod situation. Uh, I don't know who has an iPod still, but anyway. Um, so anyways, that's... that's. But that's yeah, nice. I mean, the, it all goes back to those same two questions we said at the beginning. Who's your audience and what mm-hmm. are your goals? If your audience does not is not the audience that has Alexa or Google Home or any of those uh, devices in their house and they're not, you know, they're not interested in their long ways away from it, well, that's A, like, don't invest any money um, and energy there. And B, um, if your goal is... I don't know, to sell a bunch of widgets, you know, (laughs) that's probably not your best. Um, You know, if if your goal is to create loyalty and keep bringing customers back time and time again, there might be some fun stuff in there, right? Because Mm. once you, you you can promote to your existing customers that you're on this platform, this is the command, they can have fun with it, feel like they're bonding with you. But that, but it would have to be part of your audience and your goals. Right. Okay, cool. So, Tara, I know you worked on Justin Trudeau's campaign, which is super exciting for me because I'm an unashamed lefty liberal. But um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what did you learn from that process? Because I don't actually work in this genre very much at all, but a lot of people who listen do vo- voice campaigns all the time, and, and some of it is quite nasty here in the US particularly. But there's a whole science to it, isn't there? There's a whole sort of psychology element. Did you take anything from that process into the work that you do now? Yeah, well, a lot of the research and insights into the customer base or the, you know, the voter base that I did you know, it's interesting because it kind of ran, runs counter to the type of polling and data they bring in from that the, that side of things. Like, I didn't ever touch that side of his campaign. They made the ads um, in a whole other uh, part of the campaign, the comms part of the team. Right. And they have their own type of data. Uh, they have different data than, than what I 
I do. So, I mean, I learned that there's, there is a lot of powerful data on like the, what sort of triggers people's emotional reactions to campaigns. And, uh, but I also, you know, it's interesting because I think they learned a little bit too, uh, that there is uh, also a lot of value in listening to the grassroots because Mm. their campaigns are built on more of a mass sentiment and audience, right? So mass, you can appeal to the mass by hammering on those more vague, but sometimes scary messages, yes. the negative campaigning. <laughs> yeah, very um, where, yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, I can't even imagine how hard it would be for somebody who is left-wing to be like hired by a campaign for on the right. Well, luckily over here, they don't require many Brits, so <laughs> it's not a problem no, I have true. to face. That's so. true. <laughs> um, but then like on, our, on my side, like I did a lot of internal lobbying to uh, speak to and address grassroots concerns that weren't at the top level. And by the end of the campaign, I think, you know, we kind of established that, you know, that was the job of social was to listen and understand the grassroots Mm. while comms did the more sort of mass messaging. Um, And as long as we didn't clash with one another, that was fine. Mm. And did you clash every now and again? Oh, yes, we clashed. Oh, okay. (laughs) Because, like, you think of, like, something like pipelines, right? So uh, more of a mass messaging. Even in Canada, yeah, uh, pipelines still create jobs for a big part of You mean the... gas pipelines? Yeah, I guess. Oh, okay. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Carrying oil not, and gas. Not, not internet pipelines. No. Yeah. And then, but at the uh, grassroots level, there, was, there, were, there were lots of activists who were very anti-pipeline. And how do you, how do you actually... Um, I don't know, find a message at the grassroots as well as at the public level that's going to not contradict is kind of an, in, that was an interesting scenario. Cool. All right. Well, I'm, I'm going to let you go because I know you guys are extremely busy, uh, but thank you. Thank you so much. And how do people find out more about you guys and what you do online? Well, um, I would, you know, first of all, promote the YouTube channel. Uh, just look up uh, Tara Hunt on YouTube. Yep. Uh, she's got uh, over a hundred videos uh, now after three years of uh, content creating with a lot of tips and tricks and how to how to approach audiences online, as well as our website, truesocial.ca. And you can find both Tara and myself on Twitter. Uh, you know, just search us, uh, you know, Tara Hunt or Ms. Carl. Rogue. Sp- yeah, she's Miss mm-hmm. Rogue on Twitter. I'm Carl Spachet underscore CO uh, on Twitter as well. Okay, fantastic. And, and I actually found you guys because I saw a video of Tara's on LinkedIn, I believe it was actually. Yes. Um, and it was great. So, all right. I, I always promote YouTube because it's uh, easier to search than anything. Yeah, it's not closed off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you both for coming on. That was, that was fantastic. Thanks thank for you. having us. Thank you to this week's guests. Thanks also to JMC Demos and IPDTL who sponsor the show. Thanks to Backstage Magazine and a special shout out to Patreon super member Angus McLeod. We'll see you again next time.